0: Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. I'm going to kick off the Christmas story, but I'm actually going to kick it off with a story we don't usually tell about Christmas, and that is the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Now, I can commiserate with Zechariah because earlier this year, I used to say things I shouldn't say and the Holy Spirit kinda convicted my heart. He said, I'd like for you to fast speaking for 40 days. And I didn't talk for 40 days except for preaching and in prayer. And you're gonna hear in the story that the Lord caused Zachariah to fast speaking as well. The funny thing is most people would be like, the Christmas story has nothing to do with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Yeah, it does. This is how we want to jump right to, you know, Mary and Joseph and, you know, Bethlehem. But um, we're going to start with John the Baptist. Zechariah and Elizabeth were John the Baptist's parents. And um, if you look at the, the Old Testament, there were many, many, many prophecies like, hey, One day the Messiah is coming, and he's gonna deliver the people of Israel, the Jews, and he's gonna deliver the whole world, Gentiles that live in Eulis, too. Like everybody's gonna find freedom in this future Messiah that's coming. But there was also in, in a similar vein, in a similar time, prophetic words for one that would come before the Messiah and prepare the way for the Messiah. Speaking of what would be John the Baptist. Well, one of those verses is this, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. There is a voice that cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the desert and a highway for our God. So before we read about John the Baptist at the beginning of the New Testament, I wanna read the last verse of the Old Testament and it's gonna make sense and I'm going to explain why in a minute. The, the, the last book that was recorded was the book of Malachi or the Italian paraf- prophet Malachi. And um, if you flip to chapter 4, we're going to read the last two verses in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I will come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, if you were to literally turn the page, you would be turning from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Now, of course, we know that if you turn the page, you're gonna jump to Matthew, skip Matthew, and turn to Luke chapter one. So we're turning the page from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but as you turn that page, you're turning 400 years. You have to realize there was 400 years of what we call the intertestamental period in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's a long time for God to be silent. I mean and other than and what we'll celebrate next week with Hanukkah, and by the way, if you missed the Hanukkah message, we're going to reshare that link on the socials this week, because I would love for you to remind yourself of why we're choosing to celebrate Hanukkah and what God did, because that was at about the 175 year before Jesus' mark. So that, other than the the oil and the lamp miraculously being uh, lit for eight days, that's the only thing that God did in that 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. 400 years is a long time to hang on to your faith when God hasn't done anything. And if I could just put perspective of what 400 years looks like, 400 years ago was 1622. And in that year, 102 Puritans left Plymouth, England. They rented a boat called the Mayflower to take them across the Atlantic to the New World. And they landed in Cape Cod and set up a new colony of Puritans. And you wanna know why they did that, by the way? Because the church in England was too worldly. That's 400 years ago. 400 years is a really long time to be believing God to do something. Like you have this hope that God's going to bring the Messiah, and before the Messiah, you have this hope that a prophet is going to come and prepare the way for the Messiah, but nothing's happened. Well, what happens when hope is deferred? Proverbs chapter 13 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So the people of Israel must have had really sick hearts, because their hope was that Messiah would come. And what happened was instead the Greeks came and crushed the Jewish people, and then the Romans came and crushed the Jewish people. And they're living in this broken time where the Jewish people are still being faithful to a God they haven't heard from in 400 years. So then we turn turned the page, Luke chapter one. Verse 5. We're going to read that whole chapter. You might as well open it in your phone. I'll read from the ESV. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah from the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, and this is important. They were both righteous before God, and they walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. Now, let's just stop there for a second and talk about where we are. He said that we were in the time of King Herod. Just so you know, King Herod is a bad, bad man. He was a wicked king. In order to retain power, he he murdered members of his own family. And then later, after Jesus is born, this is the same King Herod that murdered every baby boy in Bethlehem, two years and under, trying to kill Jesus and stop him from being the next king of Israel. So this is a wicked, wicked king um, in, a, in underneath the, the oppression of the Roman Empire, which was wicked as well. And then it, it, all of a sudden, the camera pans and zooms in on this this, this older couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. He was a priest, and they were God fearing. They were blameless in all the commands. This is an amazing hope that there is, is that there would be a couple that would be faithful to God, even though God hadn't been quiet, God had been quiet for 400 years. Now, what it meant to be a, a priest was that there was like a rotation of priests that would go and serve in the temple in Jerusalem. Now don't forget, sometimes they would have to sacrifice the animals. sometimes they would have to do the grain offerings. Sometimes they would have to change out uh, the oil. Sometimes they would have to, of course, be all constantly cleaning, because if you think about all of the animals that were brought in there, there's all the manure, and then there's all the blood and then there's all the carcasses. And then priestly duty was a lot of work, and it was gross and it was, but it was their greatest honor to be able to serve in the temple. Here's a problem for Zechariah and Elizabeth, verse seven. They had no child. Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now, this is a huge uh-oh, because in the ancient Middle East, to be barren was considered a curse from God. Every couple, like today, of course, would, would, would try to conceive a child, but these were God-fearing people, and if, if there was no baby, if the wife was barren, that was literally grounds for divorce. So we already know that Zechariah was a good guy for not leaving his wife after years of trying. But now they're so old, it's, it's, it's past the baby-making opportunity, but yet they're still praying for a baby. But yet they've had to live with the stigma and the shame of never having children. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever prayed a prayer that you feel like God has left unanswered? Have you ever felt shame and you've, you felt like you've carried that shame in your life? Maybe it's something that you did or something that was done to you and you, you feel like every room you walk into, especially a Christian room, that there's people looking at you in shame. Have you ever felt like God was mad at you? Because Zachariah and Elizabeth could have easily felt all of these feelings and emotions because they had no children, verse 8. While he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he, Zechariah, was chosen by lot to enter into the temple and burn incense. This is obviously an artist's rendering of what it might have looked like inside of the temple. You'd pass by the the golden lampstand, you'd pass by the showbread, and then there, right in front of the Holy of Holies, there would have been a small fire burning. And they would pour incense on that, and that sweet-smelling smoke would rise up before God. Verse 10, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, I I just need to kind of step out of the story for a moment. What's Zechariah doing there? He's shamed by God. They've never had children. God hasn't spoken for 400 years. Why would he even still be serving God? Shouldn't he have just quit on his faith? Shouldn't he just assume that God is dead and not wanting to do anything in their lives? That's what most of us would have done. If we felt like God hadn't spoken for 400 years, we'd just throw in the towel and walk away, and Zachariah and Elizabeth, their whole lives, they've been praying for a baby, and they never, God answered that prayer. They never had a baby, so they felt shamed in front of the whole Middle Eastern world. They felt like God was mad at them. But yet here, Zechariah is serving God in the temple, going the extra mile. It takes great faith and commitment to God to serve the Lord when you think God's mad at you. It takes guts, and I mean it takes guts, to go before all the other priests and serve the Lord when your heart is hurting because you feel like your hope has been deferred because you feel like your prayers have gone unanswered. Now, just to put it in perspective, serving in a priest was it was kind of like serving in the military in the reserves, where you would get to go home, and you'd do your home duties, you'd provide for your family, but then several times a year, you would ramble up and go up to Jerusalem, and you'd get to work and serve. But then there were thousands of priests. Um, one historian thinks there was 18,000 priests, and they would... Roll the dice, basically. They would cast lots. You know, they'd, they'd play rock, paper, scissors until somebody was selected to actually go inside the temple. See, most of the work that priests did was outside the temple in the courtyard. But it was a great honor. It was a once in a lifetime opportunity that Zechariah would get to take the incense and to walk up to the very presence of God and to pour out the incense. Now, I always remind you in scripture, burning of incense is always a symbol of prayer. Which is why at the same time the people were outside in the courtyard, thousands of them praying at that same time, they would remain outside in prayer while Zechariah, first time and only time in his life, he gets to walk into the temple and he's got some incense in his hand, his heart is pounding, he's sweating, he's nervous, he's never done this before. And he, he, he walks in, he walks past the menorah, he walks past the showbread, he walks up to the curtain, the veil that separates the Holy of Holies. There's a small coal fire there, and nervously he pours out his incense on the fire, and as it catches, that smoke, that sweet-smelling smoke begins to rise in the presence of God. Now, Zechariah would have prayed outside thousands of times, but this time he's able to do it right in the very presence of God, and you know Zechariah began to pray. As that sweet-smelling incense was going up, one man standing alone in that building was able to say, God, I ask for the Messiah to come in my day. God, we're asking for the nation of Israel to be delivered from this wicked oppression of the Roman people. And God, even though I'm old, I'm asking for a son for my wife Elizabeth and I. Thousands outside in prayer, Zechariah alone inside. Actually, he wasn't alone. Verse 11. Verse 11. And then suddenly appeared an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, yeah, you think? And he fell down before that angel. Let me just make this quick point. Angels are real. Like We don't just get to believe that God is real and that heaven is real and that the devil is real and hell is real, and we don't get to believe that demons are real if we're not also going to believe that angels are real. Now, angels are ministering spirits. They don't have human bodies. We don't get to see them and speak with them, except there are several times in Scripture when the Lord needed a message to be communicated from an angel to a person, so they kind of take on a a human or human-like form. We, we, We read that several times throughout the Scriptures. Now, angels apparently are pretty majestic because every time you read in the Bible about an angel speaking to somebody, the person to whom they were speaking falls down in fear and terror because they think they're actually seeing God. That's how powerful and majestic angels are, is that when you see one, your response is to fall down and try to worship it. But verse 13, the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. your prayer has been heard. Remember that. Your wife, Elizabeth, is gonna bear you a son. You're gonna name him John. You will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or any strong drink. That'd be a good lesson for all y'all. Even from his mother's womb, because you know all that, oh, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn the hearts, now this is where it ties in the verse from Malachi. He will turn the hearts of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. God is speaking for the first time in 400 years, and he's saying, Zechariah, your baby boy is going to be the one that's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. This is amazing that God is speaking. And the first thing that God says after 400 years is Zechariah. the prayers that you thought were unanswered, they're gonna be answered right now. I want you to ask yourself, is there a prayer that you feel like you've been praying to God that has been unanswered and you have given up on? The angel says, don't be afraid. You and Elizabeth are gonna have a baby boy. He's gonna be the forerunner to the Messiah, and there's, he's gonna have the spirit and power of Elijah. And in verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, the angel is telling him about all these amazing things and, and specific rules for his son John. But in verse 13, Zechariah is stuck on the logistics of how that baby is gonna be born. And his response in verse 18 is, "How." Shall I know this? Because I am old and my wife is advanced in years. What he's saying is, listen, I know that there's an angel talking to me from the very presence of God, but my wife, the baby-making factory has been shut down. Aunt Flo doesn't come for a visit anymore. And what he's saying is, I hear you, but I don't believe you. So he puts his foot in his mouth, and this great man of faith and devotion vomits up faithlessness. The first time God has spoken in 400 years, and Zachariah is like, nah. <laughs> you can't do a great miracle because we're too old. You can't do a great miracle because. I don't have enough gifting or talent. You can't do a great miracle, God, because I don't have any money. You can't do a great miracle, God, because I don't have any influence. You can't do a great miracle because I know me and I know my shame and I have disqualified myself from the call of God. You can't do this great thing because I'm actually gonna be my own worst enemy. Faithlessness is easy. Sometimes faith is hard. And it requires you to keep your mouth shut. And because Zechariah couldn't keep his mouth shut, the angel helps him. Verse 19. He said, dude, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this very good news. And behold, you're now going to be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zachariah spoke unbelief, so God put him on a speaking fast. Why? Our words are powerful. This is not that message, but I've preached it before we have the power of life and death in our tongue. And even in the very presence of God, and in the very presence of an angel speaking from God, Zechariah was almost going to curse and stop the work of the Lord. How? Simply because of his words. And God didn't want Zechariah cursing this miracle by speaking unbelief over it, so he shut down his words, so he could not speak anything over it. If you're believing God for something in your life, only speak life over it. Only speak faith over it or speak nothing at all. Now, I I want to point back, the angel said, dude, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. That word stand is in the present tense. He didn't say, I stood in the presence of God, and I'm now bringing you this message. He said, I stand in the presence of God. So although this angel Gabriel was in Jerusalem, in the temple, and speaking to Zechariah, at the same time, he was standing in another dimension in the very presence of God. And God was speaking to Gabriel, and Gabriel was speaking to Zechariah. He was standing in the presence of God. But all... All Zechariah could think was the mechanics, the logistics, the plumbing problem. And he's like, I, I, I just don't see how this is possible. We won't have time to get into this part of the Christmas story, but a few verses later, the angel Gabriel goes to a young teenage girl named Mary and is like, hey, you're also gonna be present, uh, pregnant. But this time, it it won't be a natural thing, it won't be a sex thing. The Holy Spirit is gonna overtake you and you will become pregnant. Think about how Mary responded to that. Remember, Zachariah is this older, mature, priest, faithful, servant of God, educated in the things of God. Mary would have been uneducated in the ancient Middle Eastern world, probably 15, 16 years old, peasant girl from Nazareth. And her response was, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This child has more faith in this mighty man of God. What have you been believing God for that hasn't happened yet? Will you continue to serve God even though you think God's ignoring you? Will you remain faithful to the Lord and not sin and remain blameless before God even when you feel like your hope has been deferred and God's not answering your prayer? Will you keep your mouth shut even if you're having a hard time trusting that God wants to do a miracle in your life. Now, those of you that know me well, I I am what I like to be ignorantly proud of as being a realist. Yes, I'm a man of faith, but I'm also like practical, and I look at the, the honest aspect of the situation. It seems like I'm being spiritually wise, but often I end up speaking death over God's promises which is the main reason why God asked me to not speak for 40 days. I did the same thing that Zachariah did. Zachariah was simply reminding the angel standing in the presence of God that Liz was too old to have babies. Like, I know you want me to have a son, I know you want me to name him John, but just so you know, that's not possible. Mechanically, plumbing-wise, it's not possible. See, oftentimes in our lives, God wants to do a God thing, but for some reason, we wanna remind God of the human things how dumb do we look when we do that? It wouldn't be a miracle if it's something that we could conjure up in the natural. That's what makes him supernatural. That makes him God. So stop being real and instead be full of faith and speak life and speak hope and speak truth or speak nothing at all. What we're doing is we need to come into alignment with the will of God for our lives, even if it sounds bananas. That's what Mary did. Then angel Gabriel standing in Mary is like, hey, you're gonna have a baby, no sex, the Holy Spirit's gonna overcome you. She's like, Okay. In the temple, in the presence of God, to a well-trained, educated, experienced veteran, you know, gray hair, over the ears, kind of a priest, Gabriel's like, hey, you're gonna have sex with your wife and in nine months you're gonna have a baby and you're gonna call him John. He's like, nah, it's not possible. We're just gonna watch TV. We're just roommates at this age. There's a whole other sermon on marriage that we won't get into. Let's just finish this, verse 21. The people were waiting for Zechariah outside and they're wondering, what's the delay? When he finally came out, he was unable to speak and then they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and then he kept making signs to them but yet he remained mute. When the time of his service ended, he went home. What What have you stopped praying for? What's the thing that you feel like you have been asking God for that hasn't happened? What's the thing that you feel shamed by in your life? What's the thing that you have spoken death over that you need to repent of? God has promised you something and you have waited longer than you think you could wait and you've given up waiting. So now you speak death over What areas of your life have you tried to be wise and practical over? You've looked at all the facts and figures, and actually you're just being faithless because you're trying to diminish a work of God into a natural understanding of what could happen. Supernatural literally means beyond the natural. Zechariah and Elizabeth were blameless in the eyes of God even though God hadn't spoken for 400 years, even though they had been praying for their whole lives for a baby to be born, even though they had been ridiculed and shamed by their community, they remained blameless. What sin have you tried to self-medicate yourself with because your heart hurts that your hope has been deferred? Today is your day to receive the word of the Lord over your life, even though it sounds impossible. Stop trying to reason it out and just have faith and trust God. And if you have spoken death over things that God wants to do in your life, you're gonna repent and then you're gonna speak life or nothing at all. What is the thing that you have been hoping for? Maybe you were believing God for a baby. Maybe you were believing God for a miracle in in, in health. Maybe you were believing God for a financial breakthrough. Maybe you were believing God for a relationship breakthrough. Don't quit. Don't give up. Have faith in God. It's easy to give faith away and be faithless. It's really hard to remain faithful when you don't want to. It's really hard to believe God when you feel like God hasn't spoken since the Mayflower. Will you be the one that says, I will remain faithful to the word of the Lord and I will remain blameless before my God even when everybody else gives up, even when everybody else is faithless? That like the, the believers in Asia where their faith is not something they do for an hour a week It is all-encompassing. It's woven into every aspect of their life, everything they think, everything they say, everything they do, the clothes that they wear, the food that they eat, the job that they have, the home that they live in, how they raise their families. Everything revolves around their faith that we would be that type of believer. Somehow in the Western world, we have allowed our faith to be something we try a little bit for an hour or two a week. You're doing it wrong. That's why it's not working. It's meant to be an all-inclusive, obsessed with Jesus, twenty-four hours a day, love, passionate relationship. Anything less than that is empty, dead religion. That's why it's failed you. And if there's, if, if you're still allowing sin in your life, that's what's separating you. Like I just don't feel God. I don't. Well, duh. He's still speaking his great love and power to you. You're just running in the opposite direction. Well, now God's mad at me. God's not mad at you. He loves you, he's crazy about you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's what the Easter story, Easter, Christmas story, that's also, that's what the Christmas story is all about, is that your father in heaven loved you so much that Jesus came, and was born as a baby in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. Before there was running water, before there was electricity, before there was air conditioning. Jesus loves you so much. He's crazy about you. If you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you feel like that your disobedience to God, your sin has separated you from God. Man, I want you to repent and ask God to forgive you. And He will. He will absolutely wash you and cleanse you and just pour His life into you. The Bible says that He'll adopt you. He'll, he'll adopt you into his family, that you'll become a child of the most high God. If you're here this morning you're watching online and there's things right now that the Holy Spirit is pointing out to you, it's different for everybody, but there's things that are keeping you separate from that personal relationship with God, today I want you to ask God to forgive you of your sin. I want you to repent, which means you're gonna turn 180 degrees away from that thing and you're gonna turn your face towards the Lord Jesus. He is the only way to know the Father the only way to know the Father. I can lead you in that prayer. I can't pray it for you, but I can lead you. It might be the first time in your life you've ever prayed this prayer, or oftentimes what I find is that our heart has a hope that gets deferred, so then our heart gets sick, so then we try to medicate ourselves because we feel this pain of an unanswered prayer And then we allow sin into our life. And we drink too much or we smoke weed or we look at porn or we overeat or we just throw big angry temper tantrums or we lie and cheat and steal, all because we're just trying to medicate our heart where the hope has been deferred. And then we've allowed all this sin back into our life. The beautiful thing about the love and the grace of the Lord is that he'll remove all that trash and he'll hold you in his arms of love and you'll have that restored, intimate, close relationship with him. It might be the first time in your life you've ever prayed that prayer. It might be the first time in a long time. And you need to pray it again and ask God to forgive you. If you're here this morning and you're watching online and that's you, I can lead you in that prayer. I'd like to know who I'm praying for before we pray it. With every head up and every eye open. If that's you and you need to get right with God, even if you're at home alone watching YouTube, Would you shoot your hand up real high? If you're in this room and you need to pray that prayer and get right with God, just shoot your hand up and say, I need to get right with God, preacher. I'm gonna pray that prayer with you. Nobody in this room today, that's unusual. What about you at home? Just shoot your hand up between you and God and say, I need to get right with the Lord. I need to ask him to forgive me of my sin. Why don't we pray this prayer together for the sake of those that might be watching online or for the sake of people here that are too afraid to raise their hand with every head up and every eye open. Why do I do that sometimes? Like last week, we might have done it head down, eye closed. I do it different, different ways. I remind you that Jesus on Easter was murdered for your sin in Jerusalem in public, in broad daylight. And in those days, they would strip the prisoners naked and they'd nail them to the cross. It was the most mortifying, humiliating graphic experience possible. And everybody in the world could have seen what Jesus did for us. So yeah, sometimes I'll let you close your eyes and secretly get right with God. Sometimes I want head up and eyes open, saying, I'm gonna serve the Lord and I'm gonna repent of my sin. I'm gonna get right with God, I don't care who sees. That's what I mean by not compartmentalizing our faith. Last chance, anybody here this morning wanna pray that prayer, now that I've really laid down the gauntlet like that? (laughs) I see your hand, is everybody else? Good, yay God, I see your hand, is there anybody else? I see your hand, is there anybody else? Yeah, that's fun. I love the Lord. Let's all pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I repent, forgive me of my sin. Wash me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I receive the gift of eternal life. And I receive the hope of your word in my life. Help me, Lord, to believe, to remain faithful, to be blameless before you. Even when I feel like you're not hearing me, I will trust you. I will remain faithful to you. I will not give up. I will wait on you in Jesus' name. Say amen if you believe it. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Golly. Yay, God. Yay, God. Yay, God. Let's say. If you're at home, I'd like for you to text the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to 817-405-2244. All that does is send you an auto-response form. Please fill that form out and click Submit. Our our church, man, we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you in your walk with God. We want to connect you to other believers that are going to help you in your walk with God. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.